Hello and welcome back to this episode of the High Yield Podcast of Medicine. In this episode, we will discuss osteoporosis. Now, what is osteoporosis? Put it simple, it is a metabolic bone disease associated with low bone mass. That's loss or thinning of both trabecular, spongy, and cortical bone and their interconnections, despite normal bone mineralization and lab values. The reason we emphasize on normal bone mineralization and lab values is to distinguish it from other bone conditions, like, for example, osteomalacia. For the more precise definition of osteoporosis, we describe the DEXA scan parameter in the diagnostic section. In order to understand the important subjects of both osteoporosis risk factor and pathogenesis of the primary versus secondary osteoporosis, we need to have a good understanding of the factors that determine the bone mass in adult life. So the first question is what are the determinants of bone mass in adulthood? The main factors simply are peak bone mass and rate of bone loss. So the next question is what factors affect peak bone mass and rate of bone loss? The factors that affect the peak bone mass include ethnicity, weight-bearing exercises, and dietary intake of calcium and vitamin D. What are the factors that can affect the rate of bone loss? Mainly diet and habits such as alcohol consumption or smoking versus excessive sodium in diet. Now, among these factors, which one contribute to higher bone mass throughout the life? Remember, African-American or African ethnicity indicates an overall higher bone mass throughout the life, while white and Asian ethnicities are associated with lower overall bone density throughout the life. Based on this understanding, we categorize the risk factors for osteoporosis into modifiable and non-modifiable ones. What are the modifiable risk factors of osteoporosis? First and foremost is current cigarette smoking. Then we have inadequate physical activity, such as patients with immobilization, estrogen deficiency, poor nutrition in general, but more specifically low calcium and vitamin D intake, alcoholism, low body weight, poor health and frailty, and conditions that are associated with risk of falls, such as impaired eyesight. Now, can you give example of estrogen deficiency in regard to conditions causing osteoporosis? Examples include early menopause, that is menopause prior to age 45, as well as any cause of hypogonadism, including bilateral ophorectomy. Now, true or false Increased body weight is associated with increased risk of osteoporosis. That is false. Even though we say decreased physical activity and immobilization is a risk factor, it is independent of body weight. Remember, low body weight but not high body weight is considered a modifiable risk factor for osteoporosis. Why is it so? Low body weight that is a BMI of less than 22 is associated with decreased mechanical stress on bone and increases the risk of osteoporosis. Remember the underlying causes of low body weight such as anorexia, smoking, and poor nutrition can also be the proximal cause. And then we have the list of important medications that are associated with risk of osteoporosis. Can you name them? 
Well, always remember glucocorticoids on top of the list of these medications, followed by aromatase inhibitors and other estrogen inhibitors such as medroxyprogesterone. And then we have heparin and proton pump inhibitors, as well as the anticonvulsants, which are also associated with risk of rickets and osteomalacia due to impairment of vitamin D metabolism and activation in the liver. Now, let's discuss the non-modifiable risk factors of osteoporosis. First and foremost, remember personal past medical history or first-degree relative family history of fracture as an adult. Then we have female gender, advanced age, certain ethnicities such as white, Hispanic, or Asian ethnicities, and again, conditions associated with increased risk of falls such as dementia. Now certain diseases or disorders are considered also modifiable or non-modifiable risk factors for osteoporosis. Can you list some of them? As we mentioned most of the malabsorptive syndromes such as Crohn's disease, celiac disease, most of the endocrinopathies that affect the bone resorption such as hypercortisolism, hyperthyroidism and hyperpara and many other inflammatory disorders such as rheumatoid arthritis. Okay let's discuss the pathogenesis of primary osteoporosis. That's the osteoporosis not secondary to these other medical disorders I mentioned important point in pathogenesis is to distinguish the processes involved in senile versus postmenopausal osteoporosis. So what is the pathogenesis of senile osteoporosis? In the senile form, we have reduced osteoblast and osteoprogenitor cell activity combined with decreased physical activity that results in reduced bone mass. In postmenopausal type, Decreased estrogen is associated with increased levels of certain inflammatory mediators such as interleukin 1, 6, and TNF-alpha that will result in increased osteoclast activity. If you really want to dig deep into the molecular biology basis of it, remember that these inflammatory mediators promote interaction of rank and rank ligand resulting in increased osteoclast activation what at the same time reduce production of osteoprotegerin from osteoblasts that you may remember it functions as the decoy receptor for rank ligand and decreases therefore interaction between rank and rank ligand reducing osteoclast activation okay sorry for this much of molecular biology let's discuss a couple other points on pathogenesis what's the difference between magnitude versus frequency of physical activities in the pathogenesis remember mechanical force that is the magnitude of loading in for example weight bearing exercises has a stronger influence on promoting bone remodeling in other words weight training is better than let's say jogging for osteoporosis this is also the same reason why astronauts have the risk of osteoporosis because of reduced weight bearing also remember conditions associated vitamin D deficiency or vitamin D receptor polymorphism as a genetic factor could contribute to increased risk of osteoporosis. Just as a skill keeper, do you remember at what age during childhood rickets has the highest risk during the years of life in which bone growth is in its maximal rate and that's first two years of life as well as adolescence period. Now what is the mechanism of glucocorticoid induced osteoporosis be it patients taking corticosteroids or patients with say Cushing syndrome 
the mechanism is decreased GI absorption of calcium, increased urinary loss of calcium, decreased collagen synthesis by osteoblast, and also decreased GnRH. Remember, this is why hypercortisolism can cause hypogonadism. What is osteoporosis of disuse? It's a form of disuse atrophy after bone fracture that causes bone resorption and localized osteoporosis. Why bone mineral content is normal in osteoporosis? That's because the non-rank-related functions of osteoblasts are unchanged. That's the functions that are not dependent on the interaction between rank and rank L. In other words, bone mineralization and matrix content formation are normal, even though there may be increased apoptosis of osteoblasts. That means calcium and therefore parathyroid hormone levels are also within normal range as we mentioned. Is there any exception to this rule? Well, when osteoporosis and osteopenia are due to malabsorption syndromes, like the conditions associated with low vitamin D and calcium intake, we may have low calcium and high parathyroid hormone. Now, what are the clinical findings of osteoporosis? Remember, the most common is asymptomatic, even in the setting of pathologic fractures. Physical exam may reveal hip fracture, vertebral compression fracture, or possible distal radial fracture after minimal trauma. Do you remember the name of this specific fracture? That's coles fracture. Now, what findings may suggest vertebral compression fractures? Loss of height, progressive thoracic kyphosis, and the symptoms of underlying etiology. For example, if the cause is vitamin D deficiency, the patient may show osteomalacia symptoms of bone pain, muscle weakness, and decreased overall ambulation capacity. What's the major pattern of prominent bone loss in the major two types of osteoporosis? In senile form, prominent bone loss is that of cortical compact bones. So we expect osteopenia in outer subperiosteal bones or diaphysis of long bones such as femur. In the postmenopausal type, the prominent bone loss occurs in trabecular or cancellous spongy bones, more common so than cortical. Regardless, and as a result, the most common manifestation of symptomatic postmenopausal osteoporosis is vertebral fracture, while the most common manifestation of senile osteoporosis is hip fracture. So if you are asked what are the most common bones involved overall in osteoporosis, remember vertebral bodies followed by neck of femur are the most commonly affected bones. Do you remember two conditions associated with bone loss of cortical bones? While bone loss in osteoporosis is mainly in trabecular bone overall, the senile osteoporosis and hyperparathyroidism are two conditions in which bone loss mainly involves cortical bones. We'll mention in hyperpara that the typical feature is subperiosteal thinning of long bones. What's the main pathologic morphologic feature of osteoporosis? Cortical thinning plus dilation of haversian canals. Contrast this with subperiosteal thinning of hyperparathyroidism. Now, what are the possible complications of the so-called compression or fragility fractures, which are the fractures with minimal or no trauma. Well, given the fact that they most commonly occur in lumbar or thoracic vertebra, we expect deformities and reduced height. The resultant kyphoscoliosis may reduce respiratory function and cause restrictive lung disease. On the other side, if we have immobility, for example, due to femoral neck fracture, patient has increased risk of pulmonary embolism, or even pneumonias. What are the four 
conditions associated with the so-called secondary osteoporosis. One, endocrine abnormalities such as hyperpara, hypo and hyperthyroidism, hypogonadism, Addison's disease, and diabetes type 1. Two, GI disorders associated with malnutrition and malabsorption or vitamin deficiency and liver disease. Three, drugs such as corticosteroids. Four, conditions associated with immobilization or other bone disorders such as osteogenesis imperfecta and osteomalacia. Also remember certain anemias and homocystinuria can cause secondary osteoporosis. Now let's start our high yield clinical discussion on diagnosis and management of osteoporosis. How the diagnosis of osteoporosis is established? It's by DEXA scan, which is dual energy x-ray absorptiometry. Now, before we go through details of DEXA-based diagnosis, is there any alternative method that confirms the diagnosis of osteoporosis? Yes, alternatively presence of hip or femoral fragility or compression fractures can help establish the diagnosis. What's the difference between T-score and Z-score in the assessment of bone marrow density by DEXA scan? Both of them show patients bone marrow density difference from the mean bone marrow density in terms of standard deviation. The main difference is T-score is a standard deviation from mean bone marrow density of the young adult reference population, while Z-score is the standard deviation of patient's bone marrow density from bone marrow density of an age-matched population reference, not the young adult reference population. Based on this, what is the diagnosis or definition of osteoporosis based on T-score? Osteoporosis is diagnosed if the T-score is less than minus 2.5 or 2.5 standard deviations below the mean for a young normal individual. What's the diagnostic criteria of the XI scan for osteopenia? If T-score is between minus 1 and minus 2.5 or 1 to 2.5 standard deviations below normal range. What is the clinical relevance of osteopenia? Well, osteopenia is a risk factor for osteoporosis. What is the recommended screening for osteoporosis by the XI scan? Is recommended for all women older than 65 years of age or men older than 70 years of age, regardless of risk factors. How do we measure the need for the XI scan assessment of bone marrow density in patients who are younger than 65 years and have risk factors by fracture risk assessment tools such as FRAX or FRAX that provide the risk of fractures in 10 years. What are the lab tests recommended for the assessment of osteoporosis? The lab tests are performed to evaluate possible underlying cause or risk factors. Therefore, we measure serum calcium, phosphate, and parathyroid hormone, as well as thyroid function tests with TSH and free T4, also liver enzymes, BUN and creatinine, and electrolytes assessment. In patients who have risk of estrogen deficiency or hypogonadism, we also measure gonadotropins, estradiol, and testosterone in men. Now, what are the diagnostic challenges for osteoporosis in general? Well, most patients are initially asymptomatic. Both labs and x-rays can be normal in the majority of patients. For example, radiographs are usually normal until 40% bone loss. When pharmacologic management is indicated in osteopenia, any osteopenia associated with fragility fractures, regardless of DEXA scans T-score, 
or dexa-confirmed osteoporosis are the major indications for pharmacologic treatment. What is the recommended management for osteopenia without fragility fractures? It's mainly lifestyle modifications plus calcium vitamin D supplements. Provide examples of lifestyle modification, smoking cessation, avoiding alcohol use, performing weight-bearing exercises. What are the medications recommended for treatment? Bisphosphonates such as alendronate or risedronate, denosumab, anabolic agents such as teriparatide, nasal calcitonin, or selective estrogen receptor modulators such as raloxifen. What is the concept of anti-resorptive pharmacotreatment for osteoporosis? All the drugs except calcitonin are working by reducing bone resorption and therefore reduce risk of fracture. Calcitonin is not considered anti-resorptive and it's mainly used to reduce fracture pain. Which one is considered the first-line agent? Bisphosphonates such as alendronate are considered first-line if there is no contraindication against their use. Now, what is the mechanism of action of bisphosphonates? They are pyrophosphate analogs and bind hydroxyapatite in bone and also inhibit osteoclast maturation and increase their apoptosis. What are examples? In addition to alendronate, we have ibondronate, risodronate, zoledronate, and the recent one, pamidronate, that's specially recommended for Paget's disease of the bone. So what are clinical uses of bisphosphonates? In addition for treatment of osteoporosis, they are used for management of hypercalcemia, metastatic bone disease, Paget's disease of bone, and osteogenesis imperfecta. What are the contraindications as well as complications of bisphosphonates. The major contraindication is renal impairment. The complications that can also be considered as contraindications include esophagitis, jaw osteonecrosis, atypical stress fractures, and hypocalcemia. How esophagitis could be avoided? If a bisphosphonate is taken orally, patient is recommended to take enough water with the pill and remain upright for at least 30 minutes while taking the pill before food and other medications that's with an empty stomach. What other drug of osteoporosis is notorious to cause hypocalcemia? Denosumab. Indeed, the risk is so high that close monitoring is recommended. What are the risks and complications associated with denosumab? Risk of infection and skin reactions. By the way, do you remember what is the mechanism of action for denosumab? Denosumab has almost exactly the same mechanism of function as that of osteoprotegerin. That is a decoy receptor for rank L and thus prevents osteoclast maturation and activation. Why denosumab is also used for patients who receive hormonal treatment for breast or prostate cancer. Remember, receptor-positive breast cancer patients may receive adjuvant hormonal therapies and prostate cancer patients may receive antiandrogens. And both these conditions can reduce bone marrow density and increase the risk of pathologic fractures. And denosumab can help prevent these adverse complications. What is teriparatide? Teriparatide is a recombinant parathyroid hormone as its name indicates and it's also categorized as an anabolic agent as it increases bone growth. What's its exact mechanism of action? Similar to parathyroid hormone, it stimulates osteoblast activity and maturation. 
So again, similar to calcitonin, it's not a direct anti-resorptive agent, but it's an anabolic agent. What are the contraindications to use of teriparatide? Patients who have risk of osteosarcoma are the main contraindications to teriparatide use, and these are mainly patients with Paget's disease or unexplained elevation of alkaline phosphatase. It should also be avoided in patients with prior cancer or radiation therapy. What is the main complication associated with teriparatide in addition to long-term increased risk of osteosarcoma? In the above patients, teriparatide as a PTH analog is associated with transient hypercalcemia. Compare and contrast monitoring recommended for patients receiving denosumab versus teriparatide. Well, we mentioned denosumab is associated with hypocalcemia and therefore patients should be closely monitored for that. On the other side, teriparatide is associated with transient hypercalcemia and therefore patients should be monitored for increased levels of calcium. The other monitorings recommended for teriparatide include uric acid and renal function assessment. What's mechanism of action of calcitonin? It reduces bone resorption, mainly in response to increased serum calcium in physiologic conditions. What's the rationale in the use of calcitonin in osteoporosis? Even though it inhibits bone resorption in conditions with increased serum calcium, in the course of osteoporosis, when we have normal serum calcium, it's not considered an anti-resorptive agent and it mainly functions by reducing pain from the fractures. Also remember that it's not a major player in maintaining normal calcium homeostasis. And finally, what factors are important for administration of serums such as raloxifen. They specifically reduce the risk of breast cancer, but they are associated with increased risk of DVTs. They are overall less effective than bisphosphonates, and that's why altogether they are not recommended as first line. And finally, what is the risk of mortality following hip fracture, which is considered the most devastating complication of osteoporosis? Hip fracture carries a 50% mortality in the year following the incident. Thanks, this finishes our discussion of osteoporosis.